Red Raiders. Hello, Thread Raiders. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, freaks and geeks, one and all, welcome to the Thread Raiders podcast. What started as a small uprising on Twitter has turned into a movement to spread goodwill among all creators, with the occasional side quest for player handbooks and graph paper. <laughs> My name is Fenwald Griswick. And I am Chaotic Anarchy. And unfortunately, Dave wasn't able to be with us today, but we do have a special guest. Hello. Everyone say hello to Grim Death. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. Or not, not grim death. <laughs> death by mage. The happiest death ever. <laughs> the happiest death ever. This particular death does not carry a sickle, so... You know. No, I don't <laughs> well, carry a sickle. We didn't ask him. Oh, that's right. We didn't get that far. <laughs> <laughs> you have what to is ask your nicely. preferred method of choice? Uh, fireballs Yes, the when face. smiting someone to reap their soul. Is it a green flame? No, no, <laughs> but... It, oh. I, it's trademarked. I can't use that one. <laughs> That's why mine's blue. <laughs> and so, as usual, we're going to have a couple of segments today. First of all, we're going to have our interview with Death by Mage. After that, we're going to talk about the news. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of D&D chat, uh, because Death is an avid D&D player, among Ew. other things. And so we're going to get into that a little bit. After that, of course, we're going to have What's in the Box and then finish up with our Thread Raider events that are coming up over the next couple of months. Uh, But to begin, who is Death? Well. (laughs) That's it. That's all I got. Okay, that's all you got. Okay, well. um, I've been a and d player since at least 2001, like right when 3rd Edition had just come out. I remember a friend from high school, from middle school literally approaching me about playing D&D and I learned how to play D&D through a very destructive dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> the kind that tries to kill you every 10 seconds. <laughs> the kind of DM that creates Tomb of Horrors? No, much worse. TPK. Oh, no. TPK. TPKs. No, no, it's not TPKs because that just means that we have to start all over again. No, he he, he prolongs the suffering and he makes sure <laughs> that you're tra- you're left traumatized at some point. Um, so I I revel in psychological trauma uh, with my D and D games. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of my shtick. Um, I will psychologically destroy your characters. <laughs> I've experienced some of this. <laughs> yes, you have. Um, I, 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 and yet that was me just being subtle about it. <laughs> now that's interesting. When you play games, like you're talking about the psychology of it, do you play games where like fear and and stress are like not just part of you know the plot of the game but also like stats in the game oh uh, yeah actually i've done some work on that before i actually broke down the the fifth the dnd fifth edition uh fear mechanics and i because I, I i loved the the part i didn't like the part of how fear was just simplified to a one single condition and because sure. there's layers to fear and so I decided to break it apart, and I used the uh, exhaustion uh, table as an as a kind of a, a rubric, and I broke it down. And I broke down fear into its more uh, simple and and defined aspects. And so you, so there are. In, so I led to it led to that because I also remembered in uh, all other versions of D and D where characters can die from death, and I just went, 
yeah, that's that's a thing. So let, let's just put that back in the game. <laughs> let's put that back in the game. I still like that. And you can read more about that in Death by Mage's book, The 23 Layers of Fear. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of layers to fear. <laughs> it starts off with, ooh, that looks kind of icky, and then ends with, ah! <laughs> And then, and then there's an actual like hidden page that if you're careful enough, you'll open it and it just says, it just started. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of books, you actually wrote Journey into the Feywild, right? Yes, I did. And I heard that it is actually the top 20 most popular DM guild titles. Well, it was. And I don't know about now. Um, but I will comfortably say that we have reached gold bestseller, which means it's, we sold at least over 500 copies. That's incredible. Nice. So that was a very, that is an achievement. Thank you. Yeah. That was a big milestone considering this was probably my first real big publication that Mm -hmm. I was creating from by myself, not knowing mostly what I'm doing. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about it. What is it about? Uh, Journey in the Feywild was, uh, designed to be kind of a, a book to help inspire, uh, creatives so like for dungeon masters and players this was like a little bit of a guide a little bit of like a guidebook but also kind of a narrative book to help give some uh insight and inspiration for where you could pull nuggets from the lore um and i didn't use the standard dungeons and dragons lore that was found for the Feywild in fourth edition i kind of adapted mm-hmm. a lot of my right. own personal lore uh because i actually did a fair amount of uh extensive research with the Fae on my personal time mm-hmm. years before. Sure. Uh, I used to be a big Changeling the Lost player for anyone who knows. Um, so uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed the Fae. There was, and, and I wanted to take this knowledge that I had acquired and kind of make it more applicable and useful. And I kind of just manipulated the uh, the lore from the real world and from D&D, and I kind of tried to make a nice amalgamation of the two. Now, in order to become one with the Fae, did you have to, like, go camping in the wilderness in real life and just kind of immerse yourself into the the hellish nights that you can have in the forest? Actually, I actually, I actually did participate with um, a bunch of Wiccans before in Pagans, so in the, in the middle of a forest in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Boom. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> You all thought I was just being funny. No. But you were I wrong. Didn't. <laughs> so where can they find Journey into the Feywild if they wanted to buy a copy? They can find Journey into the Feywild on the dmsguild.com. Uh, it should still it's probably somewhere around the I think it's like right in the top 40 still I think if I last checked so Fenwald Griswick is a gnome de plume that I used when I started a, a blog like I don't know four years ago and in my blog what I was trying to do was to actually um, create items and things like that when you talk about inspiration how does uh, this book like you know kind of generate those ideas i wouldn't say there's kind of a structure to it but i will say that like for the lore i do i did emphasize quite extensively that the feywild because it's so chaotic and whimsical that the that individuals who enter into it have a different perception of it each time so what happens with that is you get a different permutation of the feywild which allows for everyone to always have which allows game masters have a different way to express the Feywild every time they're playing it. It's a different location, it's a different place, different time, it's a different perspective every time, so it allows a lot of freedom, uh, and so there's no rigidity to adhere to lore for uh, cool. for that for anyone. And uh, I did give some uh, stat blocks for Queen Titania and Queen Mab, uh, 
because I just felt like it and also but I did provide accompanying <laughs> lore to go with it uh, so that it could be used for our players and there have been people who commented mm-hmm. back to me telling me that you know it, it they didn't take all of the, the lore but they did take the nuggets that they really enjoyed and really wanted to emphasize on it sounds like it's a lot of work it was a fair amount of work I will say that looking back at it I know if I had like a team of writers <laughs> or clones in this particular instance I would have gotten a much better product out of it um, I would have gotten a lot more out of it but for the time constraint I had and for the limitations of me being a single writer, I managed to at least still achieve something. Well, you also do writing for Encounter Roleplay, right? Yes, I am a writer for Encounter Roleplay. I blog for uh, for Encounter Will. Uh, I usually cover news and reviews. Uh, I do a lot of uh, Kickstarter reviews as well. So I'm always on Kickstarter every other day, <laughs> just combing through it and seeing what's there. I noticed that when I was looking through your Twitter feed, uh, you support a lot of people who do D&D stuff uh, through Kickstarter. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm even a super backer in Kickstarter. That, that's scary enough. For the hobby itself, now that the availability of the, uh, the OGL and SRD for 5th edition is available... It is one of the big things that helped drove uh, third-party publishing. And so I've been trying to be supportive to everybody who really tries to make their way into that field and really produce games and products, um, especially since, you know, the demand is so high within this tabletop renaissance right now. And so Wizards can't keep up with it, as even though they do produce amazing products there are still plenty of minds and creatives out there that can still cr- produce fairly quality products. And so yeah. I try to read through everybody. I try to see what they got going on. Um, I've been a big fan of um, people like uh, Limitless Adventures and uh, Andrew Cowood from Cowood Publishing. They're, uh, they're very good friends of mine and uh, they've been doing a lot of good work, solid work, and, been, and they've been pushing, and pushing forward with their uh, products. People who are super popular in Kickstarter with all those, you know, like Kickstarter bonus stuffs that they give you when you, you know, mm-hmm. hit like certain tier mm-hmm. levels. Yeah. I figured your house would just be, you know, avalanched with T-shirts <laughs> and all kinds oh, of... Oh, yeah. No, there's there's plenty of that. Trust me. There's plenty of that. Um, I used... Before D&D, um, I actually was a big board game uh, freak. And so sure. I probably supported in the span of two years... 85 games. <laughs> nice. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Party at that south. Yeah, no, there's a lot of games. Uh, we just bought a new rolling rack uh, to support all the games I own. So from now on, <laughs> whenever we have guests coming over and we play in the dining room, I'm just going to wheel mm-hmm. that sucker out because it just saves <laughs> me a lot of grief. Well, because it, it used to be in the upstairs study, and that and that just the trek alone is just mon- it's just monotonous. So it's just like you know what, we're just gonna save ourselves some grief, free up some shelf space on the bookshelf, and just make another rack, and we'll just kind of call it a day. So I went to a friend's house one time, and she'll remain nameless on this podcast, but she has. Do you know those stacking <laughs> shelves that you can buy at like uh, Home Depot? And they're made out of plastic, and they stand about six foot high. Yeah. Full. Full of games, this thing was. And then underneath of the sofa, there was so many games that the sofa was, like, off kilter. And when you sat on it, it would rock back and forth. And Okay, wait and a then, minute. I put the couch on I, Well, I don't blocks, know who you're right? talking about. So this is a, this is a totally different person other than yourself. Not everything is about you. 
So then I opened up the cereal where the cereal goes. More games. Plastic bits falling down. You're not supposed to go At one point I touched the attic and that was a huge mistake. (laughs) There was a burial incident. I had to claw my way out. I almost died. (laughs) The attic. That's for like the really old games. Ironically, I was almost killed by life. Uh, You know, that would have been great. (laughs) I would have loved that obituary. (laughs) Slain by life. Yes. (laughs) That's perfect. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) All right. Now talk to Uh, me about what is this uh, encounter role playing? Okay, so encounter role play is um, a uh, channel and also a, a place where people can uh, play, like learn about D- like learn other games besides just D and D. They uh, will originally started out as a uh, a Twitch streamer who did live actual plays of D and D, and he then expanded to doing uh, other games. Now we're they're doing Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu, sure, uh, sure. City of Mist. They they've been expanding their repertoire and everything. But Will mostly primarily started out focusing on the entertainment aspect of D and D Twitch uh, actual plays. And so he's mm-hmm. I I will always call Will the the true success story of making yourself a D and D actual play Twitch streamer. I think he's kind of like the gold standard when it comes to becoming a content streamer for role-playing games in general, uh, D&D or otherwise. Yep, and he yeah. is—he was one of the early partners uh, that Wit- uh, Wizards of the Coast reached out to. Yeah, and they, they've reached out to the community several times, and oh, all yeah. kinds of people can join in and play on his stream, and mm-hmm. everybody seems to have a really great time. He's such yep, a wonderful uh, person. Yeah, like, it, it, like uh, Will's really kind. He's really nice. Um, we chat every once in a while, uh, but overall, it's you know there's the there's the streaming side of his of his business, which he mostly focuses on, and then there's the the website half of it, and there's also the Discord community he's that they're restructuring right now that they I think they finished, uh, so that it's more inviting for everybody to come in, mm-hmm. learn the games, and you know if anybody has has other interests, they can find a safe place to talk about it and you know have fun. Now, one of the other projects that I'm really excited about is called Broomsticks and Wands, which is still in development. What feels like forever. You know, some of us developers have a lot of other projects on the side and also trying to financially keep themselves stable and not sink underwater. That project sounds witching. <laughs> I like that. that. I, I need to write that one down. <laughs> that that's going in there somewhere whenever we get the whenever we do the actual layout. So when can I cosplay and bring out my wands to play this game? I mean you're it's nothing to stop you. <laughs> it's not like you know, the the game is just gonna be in that little sort of develop hi, hi, development hi, hiatus until you know all the other projects I have are done. <laughs> I may or may not be wearing a cloak and have a wand in my hand right now. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm somehow not surprised. <laughs> Any reason that I can find to have the women in my life dressed up like Hermione is a good one. Uh, this sounds like uh, <laughs> there could be some crossover events with uh, the Harry Potter world. I, I really, I've really been taking a lot of inspiration from uh, uh, j- not just Harry Potter, but from uh, things like uh, Little Witch Academia as well, because they also do. Uh, student uh students who are learning magic and exploring a magical world in a castle ironically so i was like okay there we go (laughs) so i don't have to completely rip off of harry potter even though it's inspired by it (laughs) so was your favorite tv show one thousand ways to die yes it was (laughs) nice 
You felt like that kind of audience. I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite, but it was it was definitely with the inspiration to my incarnation of Death by Mage. Um, <laughs> there were other names that I had considered before I came to this one. <laughs> so the question we've all been waiting for is, what are you doing at Gen Con? Oh. Can we find you? Can we hang out with you? Oh yes, of course you can. Uh, you're Ooh. not the you're not the only one who wants to see me in Gen Con. <laughs> I was very surprised how many people really want to see me in Gen Con. <laughs> Aren't you up for the Men of Gen Con calendar that's coming out? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure if they want to be, if someone wants to be mentally traumatized for life in the December edition, <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, maybe you can be the Grim Reaper in October. Oh, that yeah. would be fitting. That's appropriate. Yeah. That is appropriate. <laughs> You're so not a winter. I mean, <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Mm. But I mean, to be fair, I, I did somewhat self-title myself as the Grim Reaper of D and D Twitch streams. So you know, everywhere I go, I encourage death. Everywhere I go on D on, on all the D and D Twitch streams. <laughs> if you if I'm there, I'm encouraging death. <laughs> I know. I prefer to call you Death over your real name because it's just amusing at this point. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm go hang out with Death. What? <laughs> So tell us about Gen Con. Where can we find you? Oh, where can you find me? Well, I'll be roaming through the many hallways of Gen Con <laughs> between the actual convention center. There's also the, the Lucas Oil uh, Stadium. And you'll also find me in a couple of the hotels that are running seminars and panels. Because I'm going to be in a lot of the press releases, folks. Because it's part of my job. <laughs> uh, you're going to know that it's him because he's going to be strapped to a gurney near starvation. <laughs> Yes, please remember to feed death as you see him run past you. Or you just just give me some Starbucks and I'll be fine. <laughs> I, I, I live on Starbucks mostly, so just just give me some Starbucks and I'll be fine. Is there anybody else you know in the community going? Um, I know the folks at Tabletop Luna going. Yes, they are. <laughs> so I will be seeing. So they 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 already they they already are uh, excited to see me. Um, I will be seeing uh, one of the right one of the 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 lead writers and uh, I think co-founders for. Uh, Limitless Adventures, uh, Andy Hand, so he's going to be there. I'm looking forward to meeting him. We get to meet face-to-face. Um, I get to also meet one of my artists, uh, Samantha Darcy. Uh, so if you're anyone who wants to check her work out, it's at 65th Victor uh, underscore Victor. Yep. And she's she, incredible stuff, yeah. Yeah, so she's been doing a lot of work lately. She's been hustling, um, but she <laughs> also did a lot of work for me in Journey into the Feywild. Notably, her works were uh, the Prince Oberon and the Queen Map. Pictures. She was part of the uh, Women in Gaming Month uh, in June. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So that's she. So I'm gonna get get to see her and her family. We've been talking about it since pretty much last month. <laughs> we've been we've been pretty much been like, oh my god, I can't wait. So two things before we move on. First of all, Starbucks is awesome. They just got rid of their straws. <laughs> and secondly, I don't actually know what a winner is, and I want to be clear about that because I'm worried I may have used that wrong. And so please forgive me if that joke didn't land exactly as I had hoped it would. And before we move on to the new segment, I just want to ask you one more question, Dad. Sure. So tell us a little more about Thread Raiders. What is it to be a Thread Raider? Oh God, what is it to be a Thread Raider? Now that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I had to. I try. I, I tr- <laughs> man, that's not an easy answer either. How dare you give me such a complicated question? It, it means that when you have more than one baby, you have to choose. <laughs> no, oh, I'm sorry. I, I Different did group. So good that's today. just the podcast. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I couldn't do that to death. His head would explode. <laughs> like, uh, he has too many babies. We can't have him choose one. I, I think that would be too difficult. I think we'll just have to do mm-hmm. this the old fashioned. We would. He would have to do the old fashioned way. Just coin flip it. <laughs> so, like multiple coins. Yeah, that's the only <laughs> like fair. Bag of coins. That's the only fair way to do it. <laughs> it's like it's like no offense. It, I just ro- we you just landed on tails. I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn. Um, to be a thread raider. I, for a thread reader, what it means to be supportive in the community, it means that you're all we're all about having a good time, having a good laugh, and but still at the same time caring and doing good work for the community. Also, pineapple does go on pizza for the last time. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Our most popular episode. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there's only been one thread reader on the podcast who does not like pineapple so far. <laughs> I'm going to do a tally. <laughs> the war of attrition continues. <laughs> We're just going to call this the pineapple wars and just and, and we'll just it'll be the greatest <laughs> subtext of, of history. And just like a little little paragraph bottom, just like the pineapple wars. And you're just like, what? <laughs> what does it mean? I have to click on it. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much what's going to happen. They're going to click on it and, and they're just and it's just going to be. Uh, and then you're, there's just gonna be there's that mixed that fair mixed reaction of I love pizza on, I love pineapple on pizza and I don't like pineapple on pizza and then you're, it's a set goal there's only one side two one side to choose. Well, in that case, I would like to openly identify myself as the Saruman of the anti-pineapple crowd, uh, rallying troops to our cause. Uh, for those of you out there who may be against pineapple on a pizza, call me. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> All right, Grizzwicks, guess what time it is? Is it that time? It is. <laughs> so, Grizzwicks, guess what? What's up? I love Escape the Rooms. Do you? I do so much, but I have this irrational fear of never being able to escape from one. I mean, that is a legitimate phobia. <laughs> That's right. Can you imagine if you didn't know you were, you know, afraid of small spaces or something like that and got stuck in there? That's rough. Yeah. I mean, cla- claustrophobia is already bad, but if you have claustrophobia and agoraphobia, which is the fear of not having a way out, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that there's a gentleman who may now be suffering from both. Uh, this gentleman's oh, name no. is Rye Wardlaw. And uh, Rye was uh, visiting an escape the room in Vancouver, Washington, when he had to call 911 uh, to report himself because uh, it turns out that he's a burglar <laughs> and he was there after hours, oh, no. but didn't realize that he was at an escape the room. So when he entered the kill room, which is one of the three rooms at the Northwest Escape Experience, he panicked because he thought he was in some sort of crime scene. And so he called 911 <laughs> to have them come out to investigate. Um, the other rooms, for those of you who are wondering, uh, they have a Las Vegas room. And they also have a 1971 D.B. Cooper airplane escape room, which I thought was pretty Ooh. interesting. That is cool. That is pretty cool. Wow. Police responding to the scene found Rai sitting in a corner trapped in a Chinese thumb prison. <laughs> <laughs> that's such bad luck. <laughs> that, that's pretty bad. So I was going to make up a title for this, but it's funny by itself. Um, prostitution isn't the only crime that sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> and now I can't change it. It has to stay that way. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, it really, you can't change it. 
You can't change that. So it turns out that there is a highway that stretches across the outback in Australia. And it starts off in the east, um, somewhere near and around Alice Springs, and then works its way to a small town called Laverton, uh, which is in Western Australia. Tiny, sleepy little town, not too many people. (laughs) There was a break-in at the bus depot. And the next morning when the bus drivers began to arrive, somebody noticed that one of the buses had a hose coming out of it that wasn't supposed to be there. And it turns out that some gas thieves had stopped by. Now, for those of you who have never siphoned gas out of a car before, it's not a complex process, but it is an unpleasant process. It's a process that requires you to take a hose and snake it into your gas tank. Um, Think garden hose, something narrow like that. And then to place the end of the hose in your mouth and to suck and 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 you create enough of a pressure difference that you can literally pull the gas out of the tank. And then at that point, you have to get the end of the hose into the gas can as quickly as possible. Well, it turns out that on buses, the gas tank is right next to the sewage tank. And so these gentlemen went into the bus depot and sucked and sucked and sucked and sucked, 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 sucked <laughs> on the wrong tank. Oh, no. Um, They're not entirely (laughs) sure who the thieves are, but they are expecting them to show up in the hospital at some point. That sounds like something that happens in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, folks, Florida Man is a meme and is now a legit part of the news. (laughs) What's Florida Man? It's a it's a joke that everyone has with Florida now that anytime you see the the the, the bit of a news article that starts with a man from Florida or a woman from Florida, ah. you instinctively know that it's going to be some crazy backwater nonsense that's about to occur. <laughs> uh, like recently, a a Florida man had stabbed somebody with a pair of scissors, but the caveat is he's armless. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I read that caption at first. I just went, you know, I, I don't know how I should feel. I should feel I should be impressed because a man managed to stab another person with a pair of scissors with no arms, which is kudos, which is skill. But at the same time, you're just like, I don't want I really am curious now what led to this debacle. Yes. Tell us what led to the debacle. Apparently they were having a civil dispute. And it just it just escalated, and the guy had like they were in a house, and so the guy grabbed this pair of scissors with his mouth and and stabbed the guy with it because he was I guess in close proximity, and I'm just like, of course, Florida, of course, what else is new? We just had a news story, uh, I think last week or the week before, where a guy got out of prison in Florida and he took a cab to his house. And when he got out, he went in to talk to his sister and she didn't have the money for the cab. And then he talked to his roommate and the roommate didn't have the money for the cab. So the cab driver called the cops and he had to go back to jail. Oh, Florida. <laughs> my, my state is quite entertaining. <laughs> so, Grizzix, you know how I like to cosplay and LARP? Sure. I was doing Fallout 4 LARP the other day, and I was digging in my backyard, and I found the weirdest thing. What did you find? It is this, it's huge. It's like this big metal. It sort of looks like a bullet. It's kind of rusted, and I was so shocked to find it. Stop right there. Was it ticking? Maybe. Or maybe it's just my cell phone. Well, then we may have to end this podcast, because... (laughs) 
<laughs> For those of you who might find ticking ordinance, uh, you may want to actually put that aside and then contact somebody immediately. This is a public service announcement from the Thread Raiders. <laughs> For instance, this week, there was a 24-year-old tourist who was walking through the woods in Austria when she found oh. an old World War II artillery shell. She took it back to her hotel room, and it was in the dirt for presumably uh, over 70 years. So uh, she cleaned it up in her bathtub and then uh, wrapped it up in some uh, towels and things like that and then took no. it to the airport where she uh, went to the customs area and asked if she could take it back to the United States as a souvenir. At which point, <laughs> the entire airport had to be evacuated and the bomb squad was called in because it turns out that it was not a, a dud artillery shell. It was a live artillery shell. Oh, my God. That cannot be that true. That had to be diffused. What is wrong with people? No. It was a 7.5 caliber tank artillery shell hold, <laughs> held over from World War II. And she was fined $4,694 and told never to return to Vienna again. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, that sucks because I actually like Vienna. <laughs> I'm sure she did too. But if you think about it, there was a bunch of other people in that same hotel room while somebody was bathing an artillery shell. Uh, you know, could you imagine you're just minding your own business, eating, you know, whatever it is that Austrians eat? I don't even know. It's probably something, <laughs> some sort of pie or uh, some kind of pie. crumpet. They like crumpets. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, boom, you're dead because somebody uh, was wandering around with an artillery shell. That's a real thing. This is why I don't like hotels. <laughs> I have hotelophobia. That's so this last article is about, I think, 150 seagulls hitchhiking. <laughs> <laughs> there is a gentleman who works at for San Jose State University, and he is a researcher who, on a regular basis, tags seagulls because he's interested in their migratory patterns. The average max speed of a seagull is 20 miles an hour. Doesn't get much faster than that, but that's still pretty impressive. So you can imagine his shock when the other day he was watching his monitor and one of his seagulls was clocking 60 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> yes. He was a little confused. And so he looked into it, and it turns out that one of his seagulls, bird number 14, has <laughs> learned that by hitching a ride... On the back of a trash truck, she can find better food in Modesto. And so on a regular basis, she has begun to get onto the truck in San Francisco, ride it to Modesto, eat, and then come back. Nice. Zagats gave that dump four and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> It's promo time. Hey, Dave. What's up, Grizz? Did you know that our presenting sponsor this week, Tabletop Loot, has an entire page of their website dedicated to testimonials? I did not know that. Yes. It turns out that if you order your dice from Tabletop Loot and like them, you can leave a message letting them know. What if you did not like the dice? Assuming that there was such a person, which I doubt, we have an interdimensional portal <laughs> that would take care of them. Will you help me read some of these? Uh, sure. Great. You go first. Oh, okay. Gorgeous dice. 
super fast shipping and delivery. The prices are great, and the dice are just really gorgeous. A fantastic place to buy dice. Signed, Irene. Okay, okay, I got one. I love this dice company. They are the only online service I use to order dice. The shipping is so fast, the customer service is amazing, and the dice are beautiful. Thank you, TTL, for everything you do. Signed, Keely. Selection, bomb. Discounts and promos, bomb. Expediency, bomb. I assume she means duh bomb. We have purchased multiple sets of dice from TTL, and we have been more than pleased with their inventory, responsiveness, and shipping times. We highly recommend using TTL for your rolling needs. Signed, Hannah. Eggs, milk, butter. Wait, that's something else. <laughs> what did I do with the fourth one? <laughs> Listeners, if you'd like to read the fourth one and dozens of other posts, you're going to have to head on over to tabletoploot.com right now and click on Reach Out to Us to have a look. And while you're there, check out the new nerd-approved shirts they have available. Ooh, tabletop loot, loot for every table. And now, back to our show. So now we have one of the uh, preeminent D&D writers here in our midst. And yeah, we do. <laughs> I have had the opportunity to read several of his articles. They are magnificent. I would highly recommend them. Uh, but one of the articles that w he has just written was about non-medieval D&D campaigns. And so when I say non-medieval, what I mean is uh, a D&D campaign that isn't based around goblins and warlocks and you know traditional token kind of stuff mm -hmm. i'm looking more for you know maybe a modern day thing or a steampunk universe like an alternative universe sort of thing what do you guys think about having a campaign that isn't based on a traditional D, &D universe but rather is you know avant-garde so it's like the D, D rules or just a whole other rpg altogether yes same D, D rules but instead of having um say like an arcana check maybe you would have something equivalent for a modern world like for instance instead of using um magic maybe you would use technology you could somehow use magnetism or you know like cell phones uh, to do communication or that sort of thing I was a squirrel once. Were <laughs> you? That sounds like a delightful campaign that one would like to come back to maybe sometime in the next 30 years. I named him McTwiggins. That, that sounds exactly what I would expect. No. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you, didn't name, you did not name it Squeakums. <laughs> Squeakums McTwiggins. Yes. You can't say it all together. Oh. That would have been a great tongue twister. <laughs> Was the main villain a rat? <laughs> Could have been a raccoon. I'm pretty sure it was a chipmunk. There you go. That's fair. Mm -hmm. They're pretty vicious. <laughs> they're not vicious. They they're devious. I don't That's know. That's a well-established I've been attacked by chipmunks. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like a better story. To hell with this non-medieval yes, really thing. it does. <laughs> Tell us about your chipmunk. <laughs> I was attacked by a chipmunk, okay? It was terrifying. I was like eight <laughs> years old. <laughs> Is it on YouTube? Because I totally want to look it up now. No, thank God. This is before oh. the internet. 
saddens my soul. Now I now the only one who ever I'm the only one who will probably remember it as a form of repressed memory. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for me, I'm always a big advocate of uh, role-playing games trying to expand beyond their genres. Um, there, there are certain RPG systems that are designed for their genres, for their particular types of games and storytelling. And then there are other systems that c- can be very generic and agnostic for settings. Uh, besides D&D, another example could be... Th- another one would be like um, Savage Worlds. Open Legend. Is, yeah, like... Open Legend, Savage Worlds, those are like big ones that I usually like to call into for like really generic settings. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't really fit in any setting. They're just a set of rules mostly. And then you can go into other uh, supplements or whatever to buy into go into like a, if you want to go into like a mm-hmm. sci-fi setting or like a Western setting. But the whole idea is that you have the core mechanics available to you. So you don't have so you have you know how to play the game, but mm-hmm. then you have the setting, the supplements to help you kind of um, add extra details, mechanics, and lore and information that you will need to learn how to play your game or run your games. I'm always intrigued to see uh, things, especially for D&D 5th edition, because there is an actual modular design to it. Um, It's not perfectly modular, but there's there's parts of it where you can take it, put it somewhere else, and it will still work the same way as you took, as as it was written. and with the uh, the OGL and the SRD for D and D Fifth Edition now, it allows publishers to really take a look at the the core system and really look at what are the functional aspects of it, what are the parts I need to make it functional, and then can it be transplanted into a different setting, a different genre, a different campaign setting altogether with different and unique mechanics of their own. So, have you ever converted anything like a previous edition into fifth edition, like any of those adventures? Uh, for the adventures, I've only done maybe a couple. I've never been a big fan of published adventures, but I have taken stock from uh, some of the more famous ones because one of my big tips I usually give to um, new upcoming D and D DMs uh, is usually, if you're not sure on how to start, look at a published adventure, see how they start, and use that as mm-hmm. your as your as your starting off point, and then build from that. <clears throat> because someone else already took the work to start it for you, you can. Right. But you can finish it however you want. Sure. If you're not sure, look for someone else's work. You know, you can. You don't have to be exact about it, but you can use that as your nice little blueprint to go from the, as a jumping off point. Now, is it difficult to transfer information from like one system to another? Um, certain systems, uh, for D and D, uh, anything from second edition A D and D and third edition are actually the easiest to transcribe over to 5th edition because a lot of the uh, philosophy and design from 5th edition actually stem from 3.5. In terms of 4th edition, that actually is a different monster altogether. The system's a lot different. Uh, the, the philosophy was actually a lot different as well. So the philosophy for 4th edition was that everyone character wise was balanced across the board. So even though you were a wizard, your fighters could keep up with your wizards. And right. vice versa. And the difference also was that in um, in fourth edition, you had this very, very well-structured system to, to calculate encounters versus in older editions and in fifth edition, it's a little bit more of play by a uh, rule of thumb uh, with a rough guideline. The one thing that will, I will always say is the biggest caveat for fifth edition, why it's successful now, is the advantage and disadvantage mechanic. 
because if you break it down, everything that is in 5th edition, there's a lot of it is 3.5, a lot of it is Pathfinder, and a lot of it is 4th edition. But the one feature that makes it distinct and unique against every other edition of D&D is advantage and disadvantage. That simplified the entirety of how to do rulings for a DM. And yeah. it empowered the DM more than ever before, and it also empowered players the same way. Mm-hmm. And for DMs, the biggest uh, roadblock that a lot of uh, DMs that I, I've talked to over the years, uh, they always used to have a roadblock with uh, older editions, um, especially AD&D, uh, definitely in 3.5, and even in 4th edition was, there's a lot of tables to remember. There's a yeah. whole lot of tables. And even if you have the mm-hmm. Dungeon Master screens in front of you, it's still a lot of information that you need to keep referencing all the time. And for over time, you'll eventually learn it. But for a, for a new person coming into the hobby, it's very discouraging and very intimidating. And so the fact of the matter is when you have D&D 5th edition where it's still a little bit like, you know, decisions on the on the hip from the hip, like in third in 3.5. But now the the the, the instead of modifiers, it's just advantage or disadvantage. And that is it. And so you don't have to think too hard about it. You can just and you can just give like a fair uh, uh, justification for it, and that's usually enough. And I feel like with the fifth edition, we have more players as well because it is so much easier to pick up. It, I mean, it is a lot easier to pick up. Cl- um, build character building wise, it's. I will say the difficulty of ca- building a character sheet is about maybe a just a step and a half below three point five in Pathfinder. Bookkeeping is not as intense as. Um, fourth edition i would say bookkeeping is about on par with 3.5 especially if you're a spellcaster if you're not a spellcaster you're you have the time of your life (laughs) as is the case in (laughs) 3.5 i walk up i swing my sword (laughs) so how is the spellcasting in older editions compared to the fifth edition now for for i will say for fourth edition there was no sense of spellcasting it was all based on powers and abilities uh because in fourth edition they had this system where Every character had two at wills, which means you can use these as you can use these abilities constant uh, as an action every time, every turn, if you wanted to. You had, you mm-hmm. had no expenditure of resources. But after that, it's kind of like how uh, MMOs have, where you have a loadout for your your uh, action bar, so right. you can fill those in. And so similar to like if you play Diablo and things like that, where you know you can have okay, one type of ability for under this category, another ability for this category. And so Mm -hmm. you can have, so you have one encounter, you have, I believe it was two encounter powers, a utility and a, um, a daily. And so those are the types of powers you had available to you. And so you had, you would, you have this large, uh, booklet of all of your available, uh, powers, based on the type and your level. So at a certain level you get access to this abil- to, to this as choices and you just pick them and you eat and you will learn them. Wow. So it, it realistically if it was the the thing that really made for that for fourth edition that made it a lot more easier was their character builder and the um which and the uh the power cards which came way later down the line, which is why you saw in fifth edition you saw the spell card uh, the spell cards that appeared relatively like yeah. about mm-hmm. not even a couple months after the player's handbook came out from Gale Force 9. Well, that was something that was inspired from the power cards in 4th edition because they came virtually at the very end of 4th of, uh, edition. And it was something that if you had given it to players from the get-go, you might have had a better success with 
having new players come on board because it's a lot it was very bookkeeping heavy you had to really have it all available to you i mean i know people who played fourth edition who've told me well i just printed it on a piece of paper and had it available so that's still a form of bookkeeping i'm sorry it's still yeah, a form right. of bookkeeping right. even mm -hmm. in three five even in fifth edition if you're printing something to have as an aid that is a form of bookkeeping the only right. thing that if you that which is why i'm a big advocate of character sheets with all the information on them so, mm -hmm. so like for fifth for D and D in general, because you have the ability of being a martial character or or a you know or a caster character, you know it the caster character has like the largest chunk of extra information they they, they will get. Everyone else has the same has relatively a fair amount the same. If you're not if you're a non caster, so casters have the the hardest amount of work to do. Uh, I can give him an example because my players in my my main group were playing an off-season mini campaign together, and almost all of them chose to be casters who prepared spells, which all but one have never had the experience to do. So they're learning the the trials and tribulations of preparing your spells and picking spells and having a large pool of spells to pick from, especially when you have two when you have a cleric and a druid to to deal with. <laughs> So it is one of those things that, you know, it is a learning curve. There is a, the, the casters usually do have a little bit of a learning curve. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that I tell people all the time is like, if you're not comfortable playing with a caster, there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed mm -hmm. to play whatever you want to play. If you think, yeah. but if you're, I, I warn the players who are like new and they're going to take in a caster, I said, please understand there's going to be a bit of bookkeeping on your half. Right. Because you're going to need to know how some of these spells are going to work for you. I may know them, but it's not my job to inform you of these things. You're supposed to take the responsibility as a player to know what your your abilities do. Um, and I usually have this conversation with everybody. I, I usually have like a big conversation with every player when I start a D&D game, like especially if it's a long-term game. Session zero. Yeah, session yeah. zero, but also like a one-on-one, -on -one, just like my my expectations, my expectations as a dungeon master and their expectations of me as a as a player t to me, you know, that sort of thing. Like that's, I usually go through those for a big camp for like long-term campaigns. If we're doing like one shots or anything, that's not a big deal. That's, sure. that's irrelevant. But like for long-term campaigns, I usually make an effort and point to, have everyone sit down. We we are fully aware of our expectations between each other and what the game is gonna, what kind of the premise of the game is going to be, and so that way there's no confusion when we start rolling in. What is it a non medieval D and D campaign that stuck out for you that you really enjoyed? Uh, for a non medieval D and D one, I will I gotta give a shout out to uh, uh Snickle Socks with a uh, Retroverse. That was a big <laughs> yeah, one. That was incredible. that was a big one. Um. Mm -hmm. That was really it hit all the buttons because it, this was right it, it, when he started talking about his Kickstarter. It was right after they had just finished um, the Power Rangers tabletop game on Hyper RPG, which, by the way, mm -hmm. will will soon be eventually published through Renegade Game Studios. Nice. But I haven't yeah. heard which word since because Hasbro, Saban sold the rights of uh, Power Rangers to Hasbro, so I don't know what's happening with that. So when I go to Gen Con, I'm hoping to find the guys there so I, I can talk to them about it. Um, <laughs> Let us know. Yeah, I want to know. I, I'm a big Power Rangers fan for anyone who doesn't know. Anyways, so my, my idea, so the thing was when that had just rolled over, I mean, that was a big nostalgia hit for me. But then when Sickle Socks announced uh, Retroverse, I was like... You just hit all the nostalgia buttons at once. Congratulations, <laughs> you've done it. I, it's rare. It's rare. It doesn't happen often. I would have to watch literally every movie reference in the 80s and the 90s to get my, my, my nostalgia buttons hit, but you did it all in one go. And I was like, that's impressive. <laughs> I remember back in the day, I was really excited about Vampire the Masquerade. 
because yeah. it was tabletop, but then, you know, it had like this modern day thing about it, but then it also incorporated, you know, not medieval, you know, with trolls and things like that, but, you know, like the the whole vampire-esque culture, which I thought was really neat. Uh, vampire was one of the uh, big games for me as well because uh, it was my first introduction to non-D20 systems. Um, so when I first started playing Vampire, I actually didn't know... Any- I heard heard of Vampire the Masquerade, but I had never played it. So when I first played it, the very first time I played it was actually through a LARP um, in college. Nice. So really? Yeah, so actually I didn't even get to play the real tabletop game until at least right probably my sophomore year uh and then i eventually played the other world of darkness series like um werewolf and mage and changeling and then new world of darkness kicked in and i still played into those systems as well um so i have a i have a decent history of playing through role-playing games i won't say i'm the most in-depth because there's a lot there's so much that has been produced between the 80s and now especially now i can't i can barely keep up with now <laughs> um so but i will say that for world of darkness i i loved that it, it finally gave us like something that wasn't just your generic fantasy it was something close to home relatable but also very emotionally vested one of the reasons why i brought this topic up was because i played the game watchdogs and this game is basically, you know, in a nutshell, it's about a guy who is a hacker who can hack almost anything in the world with his cell phone. And I thought that would make a really interesting D&D campaign um, because you could use the vast majority of all the stats that you have in D&D um, and then just convert them over. Instead of having magic, you have basically your cell phone and whatever its abilities are. And just like... You know, in D&D, when you level up, you could gain, uh, you know, like new magics and things like that. Uh, In this case, it would be as you level up, you gain new abilities through your cell phone. But it does seem like it would require a great deal of effort because you would then also have to convert over whatever the magic is in the D&D book. You would then have to convert over into what is its technological uh, equivalent equivalent, yeah, for for the Mm -hmm. modern day. The sticking point is that it sounds great, but so much of D&D is really based around that medieval world that, Fantasy, you know, yeah. converting it is kind of a bitch. Right. Um, for, like, things like, like, when you're going more modern, the the thing, like, for, so, f- I've, I actually had this discussion a couple times with a few people about a, uh, in three, so back in D&D 3.5, there was, back when the, uh, the 3.5 open game license existed, uh, it was there was a adaptation of the whole system that they call D twenty modern, and they took the core aspects of D and D and made a setting that was designed for modern day play and also for future. So there was eventually D twenty future mecha, so you could actually build Gundams and me- and battle suits and stuff like that. That was cool. Yeah, right. Um, so my so when so when it came time to the SRD being released, I thought to myself, I really want to see if someone's going to take the initiative to really take the core parts of D&D, which did not include the magic, because magic is, it can be added, cannot be added, because if you literally just take magic out of D&D, 5th edition as it is, the only thing you really have to change is the, the abilities, the, the, the skills. And the classes are one thing, but you can always make new classes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Overall, like, if you were to completely subvert s- spellcasting and just focus on, like, a mundane human-level experience... 
or at least mundane level experience and you were to just add back in the the bits of spell casting that's allowable you know as like uh apps or programs or software for your phone that would work um and you would just have to change the narrative that and make it work with the narrative instead of just if you want to go that route um that's usually like the easy hack route is when you're because i usually tell people like for spells abilities and things like that it's just they have to add some level of flair to make it sound reasonable but realistically you can change anything to fit your narrative as long as as long as you believe it fits sure makes sense to you so like spells can still be like okay if you're gonna say something like grasping shock well you put on a glove with like probably like a battery capacitor and like magnets on it and wiring and now you're shocking somebody with it so Mm -hmm. it's the same idea um you know, or I mean, the cooler thing would be if you had like the Nintendo Power Glove and you just did it that way because <laughs> it's just cooler. But um, uh, that that's that sort of thing. And so when it came time to things like uh, when you mentioned earlier, uh, Limitless um, Adventures, um, uh, Fifth Revolution, uh, there was I talked to Andy a little bit about it about what he had done differently because usually what what happened in D and D is a lot, especially the part about classes. That's usually a concern. Um, and so what he decided to do, which was something I didn't really think about, but it made sense, was that he decided to treat player characters as monsters. Um, because I have talked about treating players as monsters when you to calculate encounters. And so That's when I thought, smart. yeah, actually, it works a lot better. Funny enough, uh, when I did my article on it, I, I, as I was going through the math, I went, I sh- this this really was the answer that apparently that we really needed was if you treat your char- your player characters as as monsters it really helps you find out what they're capable of um but again that also requires you as a dungeon master to really be involved with your players and actually keep up with their abilities and their stats and you know some people feel like that's a little too intrusive and a little too um kind of like a over- hovering overlord and I'm like if you want a balanced game if you want to if you want to be, if you want to make these challenges appropriate for your players, you might have to consider putting the effort sometimes. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're playing a long-term campaign. Like I know people who have long-term campaigns who continuously have griped about their players, their overcoming challenges. So relatively easy and everything. And I'm like, well, you really should pay attention to what items you're giving. You should really pay attention to what they're capable of doing, especially if they're, and and, I, and some people are like, well, that's a lot of information I have to keep track of. It's like, just keep down the basic things, like what they use the most, what they are more, what they're, what they frequently do, and then that way you have a rough baseline for when you're trying to calculate their your their encounter uh, challenge rating as a monster. Um, but anyways, so back to the original topic. So when Fifth Revolution came out, uh, at least the the pieces that I was given uh, sneak previews for, which is available for uh, on their website. Um, more or less, monst- uh, player characters are treated like monsters, and over time, you will get features and abilities. Um, I believe is what they're trying to go for. Sure. And so it's very, it's very similar to other RPG designs, ironically enough. Um, especially things like Powered by the Apocalypse, uh, Fate, um, and a few others that do similar things where you you buy abilities over time, um, instead of actually having a level cap and everything like that. Um, so I feel like that's a lot better of a representation. Definitely. Yeah. And it's classless, so you can, you know... Build uh, anything you want. Build yep. anything you want. But also, as the game master, you can limit the total number of spells that are available by saying, you know, these are the you know 40 to choose from or 50 to choose from during the session zero. Right. 
um, in order to limit how much of an insanity you're going to have. Right, exactly. Like, even in Fate, when uh, for those who play Fate Core, it's the same way. When you build your characters, usually the game master will have can lay out what uh, skills are available to be picked for the players to des- when they build their characters. And that way they have a pool to work with. They don't have to guess anything. It's like, here's the clear defined pool. Work from that. Mm-hmm. So... It's it's nice that it's classless. I really do like that idea. Um, it kind of removes a lot of the mitigation, a lot of the issues that sometimes arise in, in D20 systems. Um, but I also can see where the, the argument for having classes put back in for a generic version of a D&D 5th edition modern system to, where classes still can be relevant. Um, but it would require a lot more. Uh, it would require literally new classes to make it work. Yeah, right. So that's the only difference. And you would have to add in things to make it relevant for non-casters. So you have to really you have to really go back to like looking at the how D20 Modern did it where it's like you have a class for basically every ability score or every that or they they basically favor a certain ability score and that was how they started from there and then so you can kind of go that same route. Well, I tell you what. So we could talk about this all day because yes, we are yeah. huge D&D people. <laughs> but sadly, we are going to have to move on. Uh, so our next segment is coming up. This is our uh, weekly segment where we take you, the listener, on a journey through uh, the path of a, uh, a, an addict, I think is the only word to describe, a, a box-opening <laughs> addict. Everybody ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, I would like to point out that, unfortunately, CA was not here last week and hasn't had a chance to listen to last week's episode. So uh, this will be a little fresh for her, but hopefully uh, uh, we'll catch up pretty quick. Okay. Fresh off the the worst beating you have ever seen, a soul-crushing, vicious, unconscionable curb stomping by Molly the Yak, you peel yourself (laughs) up off the ground and collect the clumps of your own hair. (laughs) I'm kidding. None of that happened last week. We're going to start again. I was going to say what yeah, happened. Big jokes. What <laughs> happened my yak? Big jokes. We're all about the jokes here on the show. Uh-huh. Now, do I still have my baby mimic? Because that's important. <laughs> baby mimic is still around. Mimic and lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Oh. For three nights and two days, your ears have been accosted by the nearly continuous racket of thousands of woodland creatures as you have burrowed through Garrett's thicket. But now, as your hand approaches the handle of the door to a mysterious woodland hut, the eerie silence that surrounds you is amping the stress level to biblical proportions. The door handle is oddly warm to the touch, almost comfortably so, against the humid chill of the deep forest. At first, you consider going in quietly, but that's not your way, now is it? Sam Shear in hand, you thrust the door open. But before you have the chance to launch yourself into the house and surprise your unknown host, the disconcerting pillow of black smoke that has been waiting for you inside creates a tremendous and melodic wind of change as it sucks in all the available oxygen from the front porch and converts it into a fear-inspiring ball of flame that rifles through the front door and sends you careening back into the dark tree line from whence you emerged. You are the one with the boxes, yes? (laughs) Walking up from the far side of the property is a greasy rat of a man. He is short, 
His fingers are long and bony. They twitch as he walks like a gunslinger. <laughs> At first glance, his clothing would indicate that he's nothing more than a beggar. But the dagger you spy under his frock suggests otherwise. His pointy nose peeks out at you from under a heavy leather hood, and you have trouble deciding whether he is sporting a mustache or if the mustache is sporting him. <laughs> you hustle to your feet and recover your sword. Boxes? Never heard of them. I was just walking by. Smelled some smoke. Thought maybe you were having some barbecue, you reply. This seems highly unlikely. You go on to offer your fire extinguishing services, but he declines. This will not be necessary. This building has served this purpose. As he steps to his left, you can tell by his style, the rhythm of his steps, and his positioning that he has training in combat. This is clearly no beggar. Around the dial, the two of you step, you the minute hand and he the hour, never quite reaching midnight. Our fire is growing cold. You take note that each step around the perimeter of the circle brings the rat man an inch closer to you. That's okay. I'm fresh out of marshmallows. The features of the man's face twitch slightly as he habitually licks his lips, studying the coin purses tied to your belt. There is it. I'm sorry, you're going to have to be more specific. The statue. Ah, the statue. Right. Safety deposit box. Dark Willow Bank. Ask for Griggs. Combination 18226. The rat man makes his move. He whips out his dagger and lunges at you, seemingly unconcerned by the samshire you've been wielding. You spend the better part of five minutes exchanging blows, but just after making a killer acrobatics check to somersault down from a tree limb, you roll a two on a saving throw and find yourself flat on your back. He lunges on top of you, attempting to stab you through the eye from above. The blade shakes as the two of you struggle for supremacy. This is a shame, you soldier dog. He seemed quite useful. Just then, you remember a conversation you had with Sally Slayer about how you should never, under any circumstances, make a particular noise as it would drive Molly the Yak into a mad frenzy. Oh. If you think the dog was great, wait until you get a taste of my yak. Oh, no. <laughs> you make the sound. <laughs> What's happening? Immediately, and without compunction, Molly the Yak experiences what can only be described as a dissociative episode and proceeds to give the rat man the worst beating you have ever seen. A soul-crushing, vicious, unconscionable curb stomping the likes of which you will never speak of again. The assault is over. Molly the Yak storms <laughs> off through the forest, taking out her frustration with the human species on various logs. Molly, no. You loot the body. Whatever's left of it. On the rat man, you find a few gold coins and some scrolls. But most importantly, no. you find an odd porcelain piece with six metal pins on the end of it. It almost looks like a piece that's been torn away from a broken statue. And the porcelain is carved. At first, you're not sure what it's meant to represent. But then you gasp. I said, but then you gasp. <gasps> it's a fence post. <laughs> Well, how, how random. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. You have to listen to episode 10. No, okay. You take out your cobalt mind flare statue and examine it. No, oh, I remember now. There oh. are six tiny holes in the statue with the ribs. You insert tab A into slot B. The bottom of the statue pops open. 
Turns out you've been holding a box all along. My question for you is this. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? It's a tiger's eye that actually looks like an actual tiger's eye. First of all, love love the gusto. All right. You jumped right into it. (laughs) Super excited. I love it. Second of all, ew, icky. Okay, I give it a three <laughs> on the on the 23 levels of fear. I'm giving it like a three. Okay, right there at the top. <laughs> so this eye, is it like an actual tiger's eye or is it a representation of a tiger's eye? It looks like there is actually a tiger's eye inside of the tiger's eye. Is it squishy? Um, No. Well, tiger's eye is a gemstone, so... <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> All right. So we start off holding a gemstone, but inside of it is the visceral, uh, icky, torn out eye of a, of a of a tiger. Yep. Wow, that's cool. Death wins. <laughs> <laughs> Grizz, touch the. What eye. color is your stone? <laughs> uh, it's usually like a pale orange or yellow but when i touch it does it change colors no it doesn't but you but you actually like almost like as if you're piercing through a liquid it just ripples ever so gently as your finger goes deeper and deeper into the gemstone wow what about that grizz so i'm finger this eye and does anything (laughs) happen like in the world around me like does i am i feeling something oh yeah so so as you're doing you don't notice it at first but as you're as you stick as you're sticking your finger deeper and deeper the the world's turning more grayscale sure sure this seems dirty go ahead do i still see him um yes and no it's kind of it's kind of like like that terrible like tv uh static signals broadcast that you get Mm. it's like just like fading out entirely and my rods and cones are all screwed up. <laughs> Stop poking eye. <laughs> well, it, as you get closer and closer to actually the eye, the world turns even darker around you. And there's even less of the, you see even less of the image. Yes. Stop touching the eye. I henceforth refer to this as the Oedipus stone. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have any sort of like mounting or any sort of like indication that it might go into something? Um, with a further investigation, yes, you notice that there's very, there's a very few scratches at the at one side of the uh, the gemstone, so it suggests that it was mounted to possibly either the hilt of a sword or or a staff. Nice. I like. This that. is some Raiders of the Lost Ark like shit. Now I'm looking for a staff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, eventually, as you keep staring at the eye, it blinks at you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, Liz and everything. Somebody was really pissed when they found this tiger. This is your gem. This is nothing to do with me. <laughs> All right. Well, no I way. put it back in the statue. But but then I opened the statue. CA, what's in the statue this time? There is a wand in the statue. Really? There is. So it kind of snakes its way up the cobalt's something something? <laughs> wow. Yes. It's... Uh, how deep is the wand shoved up the cobalt? (laughs) These are important questions. Do I have to like reach in there to pull it out, or is it protruding in some way that you know you need to do some fisting action to get that out? Uh, Are we talking like a straight stick, or is there any sort of like (laughs) no curvature? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that would be a bit much for this podcast. No, it wouldn't. Is it wrapped in any sort of vines or anything like that that make it unique? 
It is made of ivory, but it does have a uh, vine around it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What kind of feather is in the wand? Um, I don't know if you would know that. Do you know enough about wands? Okay. Uh, so I uh, I licked the bottom of the wand to taste the feather. What What am I... <laughs> You licked this wand that came out of the statue. It's well known. That is how you identify wands in this world. (laughs) I don't think that's how it works. (laughs) Master Yen taught me. I know. Um, You taste all different types of birds. Sure, sure. Phoenix being one of them. The hawk being another. It's a blend of feathers. Ooh, that's a powerful wand. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, So I take it out. And very carefully, <laughs> I aim it at the house that's on fire. So as you aim it at the house on fire, it poofs in smoke and becomes a huge, gigantic pile of soot. The wand or the house? And the house. Okay. <laughs> but you see something moving inside the soot. Ooh. I quick run to the house to see if there's survivors. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've destroyed it. <laughs> I'm just hurling ash everywhere. What do I find? As you're hurling ash everywhere, you don't see any survivors. However, you find a baby griffin. Ooh. Now, just out of your... All right, so I take one of his feathers and I taste it. <laughs> I have to... It is indeed a griffin. <laughs> Does it taste like the wand feathers? <laughs> one of the many feathers. Yes. Oh, I'm feeling it. Okay. I got to tell you, yeah, this is this is good stuff. <laughs> Except you killed everyone in the house, Chris. <laughs> I mean... You almost killed yourself last time, or the time before that. And just be careful, you'd be poking eyeballs and disappearing. I have issues when it comes to testing things. I'm a very hands-on... speed. I don't even know how that happens. In Philadelphia, we had the Please Touch Museum, and I've been banned for life, because I just... It's too much. <laughs> too much stuff. I'm very tactile. <laughs> That's another news article for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Grizz goes to the Please Touch Museum. (laughs) Uh, The only person actually banned. (laughs) So I am always remiss to uh, uh, go against death under any reason because, of course, I understand your great powers, but uh, I'm afraid that CA has won this week. So well done. Oh, that's fine. But death, you won for me. That is so cool. I will inevitably win as all your souls will be mine. <laughs> the tastiest one that I've had in 16 episodes. I love it. That's very, very well done. Very well done. You can thank the kobold for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> all right. So that's going to wrap us up. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, let's start with uh, Gen Con. Yes. Woo. So we will be there. Yes, I will August. be there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and me. Yes. August 2nd to the 5th. So definitely come say hi to us. Make sure you feed death because that's important. <laughs> Please do. Please do. I sometimes forget to eat even though I am a, a terrible glutton. Any foods you'd like to request? Um, Tacos because I realize I haven't had tacos in a month. What kind of thread raider are you? Um, <laughs> clearly, uh, clearly a self-depraved one that. <laughs> that that has forgotten to eat tacos in a whole month because I've been busy. 
Cruz, we need to get this man a taco. Yeah, are you being held prisoner? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, I didn't think we were in this podcast that long. <laughs> I have someone of a taco. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just eat some tacos. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. It is a well-established fact that nobody goes to a con on Sunday, and yet you said August the 5th, which is a Sunday. Are there actual events happening on that oh, Sunday? Oh, yeah, there are so actual three. events. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a few free ones, um, but there's also... I, I couldn't get into it that one either, but it, there's actually a uh, playtest running for uh, Vampire 5th Edition there. There's also like a lot of other demos still running that day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a couple of, uh, seminars and panels running that morning, but they're nothing substantial. They're just more like, um, work seminars for like people who wanted to learn more about like dun- how to dungeon master, how to build character sheets and do things like that. So yeah, and I'll be there till Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving Sunday for sure. So I, I'll be, I'll be gone uh, by that point, unless like anybody wants to meet up for like breakfast or brunch or something like that. So if you want to do that, please let me know. Um, <laughs> because then afterwards, I'm getting the I'm getting the f out of there. <laughs> and David Steele will also be there. He's doing a lot of games for Cobalt Press. I believe he's doing like an eight hour session every day for them, which oh, is pretty cool. Yeah, I I couldn't do it because I was like, if I did that, I would never get to any of these panels. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Definitely not. <laughs> He's also going to be interviewing uh, various Thread Raiders from the floor. So if you happen to see him, feel free to stop by and say hello. And then on November 3rd to the 4th, we have the Extra Life fundraiser. Yes, we do. So we're going to be doing a lot of streaming, like RPGs, video games, tabletop games, you name it. It'll be happening. Extra Life is a group that is raising money for uh, children's hospitals around the nation. So uh, we have joined up with them, as have a bunch of other uh, Twitch streamers and and content providers of all different kinds. Uh, So even if you're not um, uh, interested in supporting us, uh, there are a bunch of other people out there. Or you could always join yourself if you have a Twitch stream or, or doing your own thing. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's definitely helping out a lot of people who really need it. So that should and be fun. And you don't have to wait until November 3rd to make a donation. You can actually do it right now, today. And so I think that's going to be it. Uh, listeners, first of all, I want to thank you all for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, in addition to that, we want to thank Tabletop Loot, our steadfast sponsor, uh, for all of their support of us as we do them. And as well, our guest for today, Death by Mage. Thank you so much, sir, for stopping by. We really appreciate you uh, visiting with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. I've been waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And for those of you interested in finding out more about Death by Mage, uh, you can find him in multiple places. First of all, on deathbymage.com. You can also find him on Patreon at Death by Mage. And as well on Twitter, Death by Mage. Uh, and for what it's worth, he is 70 people shy of 4,000 followers. And I feel Ooh. like uh, we might be able to. We need to help That's like that. our listener yeah. base right there. If we can get you guys out there, uh, we need a couple more friend requests. Yeah, go follow Death by Mage yes. today. And for those of you who are listening on iTunes, uh, if you could give us a review, it would really help us out. Um, every review helps other people to find us. So that would really be awesome. And then for those of you who don't know anything about the Thread Raiders, you can find us on threadraiders.com, along with all of the links to our Twitter and Instagram and all of our social media properties. Uh, You can find them there. That's going to be it.